Hello again, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. It is April tenth, two thousand and fourteen, and my name is Mr. Bond, coming at you from the great city of Chicago, Illinois. As some of you might already be aware, this year's Moscone Cup tournament will be、uh, handled in a slightly different fashion. Than it has been in the past, the、uh, Team USA members, rather than being selected on their performance at、uh, previous events, they will be selected、uh, by hand, if you will, by this year's coach, Mr. Mark Wilson. And Mr. Wilson has、uh, already selected、uh, eight candidates for the team. Which he will be eventually narrowing down to the final five members. So what we're going to do、uh, here on American Billiard Radio、uh, over the next several weeks is、uh, we're going to talk with each of those candidates of the team to get to know them a little bit better, give you the opportunity to.、Uh, Perhaps see、uh, the issues from their perspective and what it is maybe that they have to bring to the team.、Uh, and today we're going to start by talking with Mr. Mark Wilson, the coach, and、uh, get his feelings on、uh, why it is that he selected、uh, the candidates that he has chosen so far, and、uh, some of the difficulties that they face、uh, in the future. So,、um, without further ado,、uh, we've asked. Mr. Mark Cantrell to join join us in the conversation this week, and to talk about it a little bit and see、uh, if we can get some more insight、uh, onto the building of the team. Thanks for joining us this week,、uh, Mr. Wilson. How are things going for you, Mark, down there、uh, in the St. Louis area? Oh, things are busy but good. I couldn't be more excited about what's coming up this year. Yeah, it's.、Um It's going to be a hard road to hoe, as they say. Well, this is Mark Cantrell.、Uh, there's so many players out there, and, and as we all know, fantastic players out there. And the job you've got, I believe, is a job that a lot of people would love to have, but be careful what you wish for, because once you've got it, it's、uh, probably not as easy as it, it would appear to be. Yeah, I, th- I think you could make it as hard or as easy as you would like to. I, I feel the responsibility to try to bring something forward for the、uh, U.S. billiards community here in a little bit different fashion, and so consequently, you know, it's something I ponder every day, and I've been working on to get a good result because I'm real passionate about what the outcome of this whole thing is going to be. Right. Well, you've got. Out of all the players, and here's basically here's what we're going to be doing with my segment of the show for the next few weeks, Mark. Just so you know, we're going to talk to each of the players, each of your eight contenders for the team, and try and get their input on why they think they should be a part of the team. What do they bring to the table, kind of thing? And so we thought it'd be a great chance to get you involved to begin with and ask you some of these questions. Again, you've got. So many people to choose from, and to get to eight people that you believe are going to be great for the team, and then have to chop it down to five. It's not an easy job. So, no. <laughs> if, we, 
start with Shane, for an example. We Shane's pretty much on the team, right? I mean... Oh, well, I mean, if he can just refrain from committing a double homicide between now and then, I think maybe, you know, <laughs> he's, he's a good candidate to be on the team for sure. Yeah, Right. Well, you announced him on the under pressure release. You announced him as your, uh, one of your co-captains. Right. And so I, I, that to me said, well, he, he must be a, a pretty good choice there. But I think, can you know, I would like to elaborate just a little bit, though, because... He's not selected just because perhaps he's the number one player in the United States, but it's what he brings to the team in terms of just his general uh, morals and principles and his his work ethic. And and those are the two criteria there that are very strong in, in, in my camp as far as who's going to make the team. Sure. And he does have a hell of a, uh, a work ethic. Yeah. You know, everybody yeah. knows that. You know, um, if I could uh, stick my nose into this, um, Mr. Wilson, how important do you feel um, that it is as far as previous Moscone Cup uh, experience, or is it absolutely relevant? 
well, I think it's very, yeah, very relevant uh, previous experience. And so uh, for that reason, there is some experience on this team right now. Sure. The Team USA, we have some people that have played, and we have a couple that haven't. Um, you know, when you look at the overall making of a team, sometimes the recipe isn't just the best ingredients, but sometimes there's other intangibles that goes along with it. Sure. And so when I was looking at it, it's, it's, it's much deeper and broader than just uh, willy-nilly select this guy or that guy. Yeah. But why? What do they bring? What, what, what do they have to offer here? And so what, what, my, what a, my goal that I would like to accomplish is twofold, both short-term and long-term, is our mission. We want to win the Moscone Cup this year. We also want to get pool going here in the United States, and I think these are both obtainable results. So for that reason, we want to start with a fresh attitude, a fresh approach. Whenever in the past I dealt with ESPN, they always specifically cited the reason that we're not doing better is that we present the wrong demographic. And so they say, oh, you got 65-year-olds that watch this. So we're going with a more youthful approach, and this will kind of energize pool in the United States because young players could see, hey, if I had good character and was hardworking and gained some experience, there is a future in this thing for me, and that's what we're trying sure. to set up. Sure. And when I say we, I do mean there's a, there's a team of the management side of this, too. It's not just me. We have uh, Don Mordell on the team, and he's the co-captain on the uh, management side. And he's a guy that's a medical doctor. He's my age. He's a chronic overachiever in life. He's a bright guy. I never leave his company that I don't learn something. And he brings some experience and wisdom and, and, and good judgment to the team. And he has no agenda except to propel the sport forward and is willing to sacrifice to that sure. end. And he's also got that same John Schmidt-type self-deprecating sense of humor where he claims himself to be unpaid and unskilled, and half of that's true. He is unpaid, but he brings a lot of skills <laughs> to the team. Well, good, good. Don is a nice guy. Uh, I've spent time with Don at his uh, basement, and uh, just a all-round uh, super nice guy. So, uh, and, and obviously super smart and loves the game of billions. What more can he ask for? Right, right. And, and he had a lot. We also have other. We have. I have a sports marketing agent working on trying to get us some corporate support. We have uh, some techno uh, techno guys. Uh, Greg Nowd is his name, and he's offering some support. So we can do some things that, that are beyond my area of expertise, which is pretty limited. So <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Takes a, a team a team to manage the team. Yes. Right. Right. Well, you know there's. When you look at uh, an NFL football team, I'm not trying to compare pool to the NFL or anything else, but you know the team is a small part of the whole equation in an NFL team. There's so many people in the background, whether it be coaches, trainers, trainers in certain areas, marketing people, and everything else that that make the whole team work. Um, I think you're doing something that hasn't been done before because there's never really been a team of people behind the team before. Right, but you can't, uh, you know, also to that extent, you can say, oh, you're doing great things. Well, nobody else ever had a chance. You know, this is that's the thing. I don't want to look back 10 months from now and say I should have did more with this opportunity. So that's why there's a team here, and that ex- 
that opportunity has never been extended to anyone in the past. So right, you know, right. I want to maximize this and, and set it up for future captains that can come in and, and build upon what we're starting to grow. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, let me let me uh, move on to uh, our friend, Mr. Corey Duell. Corey Duell. Okay. Uh, do you, do you, have you had a you know a relationship with him in the past that's uh, made you come to a conclusion of Corey, or is it because of his uh, knowledge of the game in general? Well, uh, once again, uh, I have had a relationship with Corey ever since he was a kid and first broke into the pro tour. And one, he presents a good image. He's got that youthful exuberance and brings a, a fresh mindset to the sport. He's he's never been one of these that goes to the same beat that everybody else does. He's creative, innovative, uh, I guess genuine out-of-the-box original thinker. And uh, as everybody knows, he's one of the most creative shot makers in the game. He's, uh, you know, pioneered uh, examining the rack and, and determining the best break, and I would like to have some of that because at last year's Moscone Cup, the breaker of the game lost the preponderance of them. I think they, the breaker only won about 39% of the racks that they broke in. So uh, having some of that on our side to maybe change things up a little bit and become a little bit more uh, productive there would be a good thing. He also, uh, uh, well, once again, the youth type of thing. Another thing that I always liked about Corey was when he was just a kid, uh, I would examine him just from afar, admire his ability. He was willing to play Efren Reyes, Efren's best game, 15-ball rotation for reasonably high stakes just to get some experience, and he was competitive during that. You know, when other players would shy away from playing the best, Corey stepped up and played, and it always stuck in my mind as something I always admired. He's he's uh, he's willing to pay for a lesson or, or look for a lesson, and, and I, I like that. Right. Well, I uh, had said on a, again, on a previous show where we were talking about each of these players, uh, David Bond and myself, was I'd like to have Corey, if I was the captain of the Moscone Cup team, I, I'd just like to have him in the practice room with nothing else to look at the break and tell everybody, look, this is what I'm thinking, because that side of it, they, and again, they, they had to change the rules of nine ball because Corey was so innovative and creative to figure out how to, you know, make that break on nine ball work a soft break. So having him around is a fantastic asset, I think. And who would be? Mr. Schoff. Brandon Schoff. Okay, well, he's another young gun who gets it, and he gets out there and gets after it. You know, so I like that. And he's also pledged to do whatever it takes, and uh, he deserves a look. He's played in one Moscone Cup in the past. So, uh, once again, he fits the mold. He's got he's got a little bit of you know he's got that one time uh, Moscone Cup experience, which I, I mean you can't discount you know even if it's only one time on the Moscone Cup I'm not discounting that I think that he played I don't think he played his best in that last Moscone Cup so um, I think he's probably got something within him as well as gonna make him say hey look. I th- that was a whole new experience for me. Now I know, kind of know what I'm looking at, and uh, hopefully that'll put some uh, a little extra oomph in him to uh, to you know 
play a little bit better than he did the last time he played. Yeah, I don't think he's that poor of an accounting of himself, but with no experience, I'm telling you, it's a daunting circumstance. And I, I've been assured that young guys can't go over here and do this by by some you know experts. But on the other hand, in the last eight years, Team USA is 100 racks behind exactly. So, um, and we have to look at the future. One, where are we going to be if we take the same players? in five years if we don't develop and, and further uh, give some players some experience. But give them an opportunity. Let's have a fresh attitude. Let's have a fresh look at this thing and see what happens. And that's kind of what uh, I'm thinking with it. Right. Uh, you know, you obviously you you know uh, that you're always going to have your naysayers that just think this is the craziest thing ever you've got to get older guys, more experience, and things like that. So um, I think there's going to obviously be some... You're not going to make a lot of friends sometimes, you know, when you're trying to do something different. And, that you know, people are always going to have their opinions. But I guess unless they're in your position and have to make those choices to do what you're trying to do, you know, get to, you know uplift the game, uplift it from the youth of the sport, it's not something, it's easy to sit around and judge, I guess. Right, it's, no, it's super easy to do that. It's super easy to be the uh, the armchair quarterback. You know, I was talking with uh, Mike Howerton about this very sort of situation yesterday, and um, and it's, gonna, it's obviously going to be a tough call. You know, obviously there's going to be three people that get their toes stepped on in the process, no matter how you slice it. But I do want to point out, though, that, this does play into the interest of the game overall. And the reason why is because you're going to have, you know, like I said, not everybody is going to be satisfied no matter what you do. But when you build the team a certain way, you obviously are going to gain supporters one way or another, and you're going to build your detractors. Either way, though, it's still going to build interest because you're going to have the people that have that love somebody or they hate somebody. And so they're going to watch it either way because they love these particular players and want to see them do well. Or they're going to watch it anyway to find out if they were right or wrong about the decisions that were made. So in the end, you still are building interest. And I think that's the goal overall here is uh, obviously to uh, build interest in the sport overall in one way or the other no matter how it has to be done let's um take a real quick break and when we come back we can talk about the uh, remaining four players on the list guys okay sounds good all right we'll be right back after this Scott Lee, PBIA Master Instructor from Largo, Florida. I'm Randy Gettlicker, PBIA Master Instructor from Dallas, Texas. And this is the One Minute Pool Instructor. Our topic today is the most important shot in pool. That would be the game winning shot, right? No, actually. No. We call the most important shot in pool the stop shot. The stop shot. Now, what is a stop shot, huh? 
Well, if the, if the shot's straight in, it means that the cue ball uh, stops immediately upon impact with the object ball and all the energy goes into the object ball. Alright, so, so the stop shot is, is possibly the most important shot to know. Uh, the stop shot, it becomes the foundation for our cue ball control, doesn't it? Sure does. And then uh, a stun shot is what? A stop shot with an angle. Alright, so um, if I know how my cue ball skids, why don't you explain that just a little bit? A, sl a skidding, a back spinning, a sliding cue ball. Go ahead. Well, you can have a sliding cue ball two ways. You can hit the cue ball in the middle and strike it with more speed so that it slides all the way to contact with the object ball or you can shoot softer, uh, put draw on the cue ball, and have it spinning backwards to where it loses its backspin right at contact with the object ball. Is, is one preferred over the other, or are we supposed to know them both? No, we need to know them both. Yeah, so, so a stop shot is simply stopping the cue ball upon contact with the object ball. Correct. All right, now, why, Scott, is that so darn important to know? Well, because it's the foundation for our, our understanding of tangent line and how the cue ball leaves uh, when it slides into contact with the object ball. It's always going to leave at about 90 degrees. You mean if there's a little angle there now? If we go away from the straight-in shot, the yes. stop shot, but we still shoot the same cue ball, and what does it do? It skids. Okay. So it's either skidding because it's uh, sliding with uh, no spin on it, or it's skidding because it has draw or backspin on the cue ball, which we want to last until it uh, strikes the object ball. So what's the definition of a tangent line? A tangent line uh, definition means that the cue ball will leave uh, after contact with the object ball at any angle at about 90 degrees as long as the cue is sliding at contact. And what if I don't want it to stay on the tangent line? Well then I can hit it above or below center so that it has draw uh, after it hits the, the, the object ball, or I can shoot a natural rolling cue ball. A natural rolling cue ball will leave at about 30 degrees versus a tangent line being 90. At a softer speed, natural rolling yes. cue ball? Sure. Alright, so um, how about side spin then? What does side spin do to the tangent line? It doesn't affect it uh, any significant way at all until it hits a cushion. Oh, then side spin makes cue ball what, longer or shorter off the rail? Right, so right and left would have no influence on the directional path of the cue ball after contact with an object ball unless you've got top or bottom with that side spin. So before I learn to play position, I have to learn the physics of a stop shot. Yeah, absolutely. And we start out with something really easy. Take the cue ball and the object ball, put them one diamond apart, make it straight in, and see if you can stop the ball. And then two diamonds and three diamonds, a progressive drill. Huh? Absolutely. And then you change it and make it an angle and shoot the same shot? Shoot the same shot. And the tangent line appears. Yep, we learn all about it very quickly, very easily. How long did it take you as a player to understand the tangent line? About one day. Yeah, me too. It was uh, very apparent. Now, I had a little misconception that side spin was going to do something, but that got cleared up right away. Well, that's that, the reason behind that is most of us, when we shoot right and left spin, we add top or bottom anyway. Sure. So top and bottom is the king of position play, huh? Stop shot? Stop shot, yes. Tangent line physics. All right. So what's next week? Well, join us next week when we're going to figure out how the heck do we use a mechanical bridge. You mean a, a rake or a granny or a...
The cheater stick, I the hear something. Ladies' stick. aid. Boy, we see all kinds of weird names for it out there. This is Randy G. This is Scott Lee, and you've been listening to the One Minute Pool Instructor. All right, welcome back, everybody. And we are talking with uh, Mark Wilson, the new captain of the, uh, or I should say coach, I suppose, of the 2014 Moscone Cup team, and uh, Mark Cantrell of the Legends and Champions Report. And we're discussing um, the eight potential players that are uh, up for candidacy on the team at this point. And we've gotten down to... um, well, we've got Justin, Justin, Oscar, and Jeremy left. Where do you guys want to pick that up? Let's go with Justin. Justin Hall. Okay, Justin Hall. Uh, well, you know, he's a fireballer. Comes from my area of the country. Uh, knew him as a kid. And uh, when he was around St. Louis area, he was just primarily known as a nine-ball player. Then a few years went by, and I ran into him, and, uh, boy, his skills had rounded out nicely where he was winning bank pool and one-pocket tournaments. He's another guy that stays out there in competition. And when you look at the style of play at the Moscone Cup, it's a bit different than standard nine ball, where a lot of times the games become quite tactical because the break is not a big factor. And so maybe some of the bank pool and one-pocket skills will translate nicely into a more strategic game as opposed to a break-and-run-out game. Sure. So I include them on the team just because, you know, once again, uh, youthful profile, uh, apparently hardworking, and diverse skill set. So you knew him before. I did. You knew, yeah. you knew Justin before. And, and is he the player on the team? Uh, yeah, they're is, uh, Justin Bergman and him are the same age, both 26. Yeah. Yeah, they both used to play in my pool room, and, uh, but I knew Justin before, uh, uh, Justin Bergman before I knew Justin Hall. Justin Bergman's from around this area, and I knew him when he was 11 years old. He was already a highly skilled player at that point, and uh, was beating many seniors. And we worked together over time, and then uh, as time went on, I, I got another pool room, and he didn't come around as much, and I didn't see him for a number of years, but he's his certainly continued to develop, and he's now, you know, he's very active out there in the tournament scene, which I love, and he's been winning against world-class talent. Some of the top European players have uh, fallen victim to Justin's skills, so I'd like to see what he brings in terms of firepower to the team. Are you at all concerned? I know that this is a ongoing question and probably a question that you've been asked uh, a hundred times. Are you all wary of how he's going to do... Or, well, I mean, it can be said for all of the players, to be honest with you, but we know that going to Blackpool, UK, York Hall, they're just almost going to come with the live TV and all the cameras and all the fans and the shouting and the yelling. They've never been in this situation before. And I, I, personally, I, and there's other players who said this who have a lot of experience. I don't care who they've beaten. I don't care if they've beaten Efren and Appleton before or people like this. How 
it's going to be a different ball game in that in that crowd in that environment. How much do you think that's going to play into it? The experience of never being in that kind of an environment before and being able to still put up a good game. Daunting, uh, and uh, you know the we're, we're taking measures to address that. But no matter what, once the first is fired, that changes everything. So you will not be able to totally prepare players for that. And this it's something I'm deeply concerned about. So if if that's the answer to your question, <laughs> am I concerned? Well, I just, I just want, you well, yeah, okay. So I just I just wondered if it was a, a concern, or you just think you know what? This is all hype. It's been built up to be more than it actually is. I think once they get playing, they'll be fine. Uh, or if it's a genuine concern that it could just fall to pieces. It's been done. It's been, you know, it's happened before. No, you could definitely melt down into this because it, it, there's really no way to really totally prepare for the onslaught of media attention, bright lights, hostile environment, and then highly skilled players. Don't think if you... You even flinch or blink that Appleton and Suquet don't have you, you know. So you, you, you really have to be fully prepared for that. And right. there's no way to fully prepare for it without the experience. So we do have a few experienced players, and uh, we're definitely going to talk about it. We're definitely going to try to prepare as best we can. But the, once you know, once you step into combat, it, things. You know, um, along that same note. Um, you mentioned uh, Justin uh, having been a significant player from the time that he was 11. And I know that that many of the players, uh, at least many of the professional level guys that are out there, are uh, it's a similar circumstance for them. They've been playing since they were very young. And some of them uh, have been playing quite significant matches even when they were uh, significantly young. Uh, Landon Shuffett comes to mind, even up against someone like an Earl, you know, um, being a teenager. How well do you think, well, I know it's not the same. It's not the same, obviously, as being at the Cup and, and having the whole room rooting against you. But don't we think, to at least a small extent, that their experiences um, like that in their youth are certainly going to be beneficial in the long run as far as dealing with this kind of pressure? No, I, th- I think it's, I mean, it's certainly experience in playing will help, but this type of pressure, uh, no one's ever faced that. Even people that are experienced that feel it, you know, I mean, it's, it's significant because there's no other place that you can play where it's like that in, in yeah. the entire sport. This is true. So, um, how are we feeling about uh, Oscar then? Well, for me, with Oscar, you know, uh, his father was a long-term professional player, and he possessed a lot of the kind of the uh, degrees of professionalism that I would like to see more prevalent in the sport today. He was hard-nosed competitor, but he was a gracious loser. He lost, and he did his share of winning. There's not a player on the uh, tour that he hasn't beaten times in the past, so I just knew that Oscar was going to come from kind of like a, a good uh, lineage of uh, professionalism and, and, and hard-nosed playing. He's kind of a make-no-excuses approach, blue-collar, uh, and that's kind of a rare commodity in our sport, so I really want that ingredient on the team as well. Mm-hmm. I can I agree more. I tell you, it's, and obviously it's, it's rubbed off, uh, Ernesto doing his being uh, absolutely 
absolute gentleman and a, a great sport and an all-round solid guy. Uh, they take the playing ability and his experience out of it. He's uh, just a, a class act, in my opinion. And he's obviously brought his son up the same with the same ethics and morals that he has. And so um, I, I think that Oscar is... I, I don't know. I, I, I think Oscar's fabulous. I, you know, I really like him. And he's not, and, and you're dead, and it's nothing to do with his playing ability. So if you want, if you're looking for a good, gracious sportsman that's going to put in the work and represent the country and his team and yourself, um, you know, I think that's definitely a, a great pick, in my personal opinion. But you've been the last one cut before. Yeah, yeah, he got uh, he got in on uh, merit as well. It was a uh, you know he, he, I think he got enough points. He came in he was in the top three of the BCA rankings. That's how he got in. Mm-hmm. I think when it's Sorry, a, when it's a family affair, um, I think that also has a special meaning to you. You know what I mean? When it's something that uh, you are involved when with, not just by yourself. But, for example, with your father, um, in Oscar's case, then that holds a lot of weight in my mind as far as what it means to you to be a, a reputable player and to do well. You know, it's not just about you. There's a little bit more involved as far as the uh, reputation and whatnot is concerned. So, it's it obviously, that's nothing but a good thing. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and beyond that, then you have a, a built-in... Uh support system somebody yeah. that knows what you're going through can help you you know i mean so that's another thing that adds strength to and sure selected, uh, yeah he's um he, well uh, i'll show his dad you know, he, we, we know that you can talk to a hundred people about mark wilson Mark Kentrell, david bond uh, any other person player that you want and you're going to find somebody who says that person's a, a idiot uh, you know not, you know, not have something nice to say. But I've never heard anybody say anything negative about Oscar or Ernesto, which shows good character at some point, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, let me see. Who, who else do we got? We've got yeah, Justin you. Bergman. How are we? Yeah, go ahead. Like, how did you... Uh, come to consider him? Did, did, did you know him from the past? Or is, has he been recommended to you? No, Justin's, he's, he's the 11-year-old boy that was around here. Uh, him and Justin all both are around this area. I knew Justin Bergman when he was 11 years old. And then That's right. After. So what did... It was just based on on that, or what has he been doing recently that makes you? Uh, see, I, I don't, I haven't followed his career to this point too much. You know, I hear his name, but I, I, I don't know him or anything else. What is what is there about him? Has he got a, a, a personality trait that uh, is he a hard worker? Is he always practicing? <laughs> No, in his case, I worry about him for that reason. That uh, I don't know what his work ethic is going to be like, but uh, he's apprised of what's the circumstance for criteria for him to 
election. And uh, but he's been very active. He won the Hard Times tournament. Uh, he's won uh, one pocket tournament before. Uh, he's been playing against some of the world class talent out there, the top European players, and, and uh, winning more than his share. So uh, that's really what brought him to the team, just to see what he can uh, offer here, skill wise. And uh, I guess our final person here is Jeremy Sose. What what drew you to Jeremy Sose? Well, you know, I, I, ask, I know, I know. I mean, Mark, I know. I'm asking. It seems like I'm asking the same question, but in my mind, it boggles my mind because there are so many talented, great players, young players with great attitudes and everything else out there that. To chop it down to eight, to me, that's mind-boggling, and that's why I'm passionate. What made you think of Jeremy Sose? Well, when you study uh, the players that are available, you're right. It's multitudes of great players. So the thing that this team was going to be built on was not just your playing skills, but the core values of honor, integrity, and respect. And uh, the, the fact that Jeremy Sosey probably earned a place on the team in previous years but was overlooked and really didn't spend any time crying about it. He's not a guy that's egotistical. He, he, does, he goes on without complaint. He, he certainly trains hard. He's a professional player. I consider him kind of a quiet professional that's tough and young. And he's kind of the epitome of what I'm looking for. So... That's what drew me to him, but he didn't come and advocate his virtues to me, but rather I sought him out. And there was other players that also present good skills, maybe not quite the strength of character that he has, and, and so for that reason I chose Jeremy to have an opportunity to earn place on this year's Moscone Cup. And you're going to be making, making the cut down to your final five uh, somewhere around October? Right, right. I have yep. a question for you. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm just going to start stuttering a lot here. Uh, if if um, you, well, gosh, I am going to stutter. Can Mark Cantrell, uh, when he just asked the last question about Jeremy and what brought you to picking him, what ran through my mind is this. Um, do you feel like you were limited to eight or do you feel like it was really hard to only pick eight? I mean, obviously there's a lot of great players, tons of them to choose from, but there's, but there's also obviously only going to be a certain amount of those that are going to fit your, the criteria that you're shooting for. Did you feel like there was more good quality people that you could have picked or did you have a hard time just coming up with eight at all? I, I feel like there's tons of players I could pick. Okay. That actually have the criteria. The problem for me was uh, twofold. One, logistics and budgetary. Sure. And so there's only a certain amount of time and then there's a, a lot that encompasses this and we really need to get started and get the work right away. So in the future, would I expand the process I would love to, you know, but uh, for right now, there's just too much to do. So I kind of had to go with my heart and my gut instinct and uh, 
move sure. forward. Okay. Very good. And uh, you know, hoping to try and get some uh, team building uh, done, uh, which is again something else that no other Oscarly Cup team captain has ever had before. And many people have put the past few years' results on the fact that the team building hasn't been there. Uh, they show up a couple of days before the Moscone Cup starts, and they do their press star stuff, and they do their uh, photos and, and things like that, and eat breakfast together and think that that's the team building process. We, well, we'll eat breakfast every day together, and we'll hang out together. I don't think you can get that done in a two-week, uh, sorry, two-day period. And although the team cannot always be together, you're going to be able to, everybody knows, listen, we've got a chance of being on this team, let's pull together and maybe support each other when they're at tournaments and and go out to dinner when they're at tournaments together and things like that. Maybe play golf on their off day and, and, and stuff that, that's going to help build the team. And is it, in your mind, is that the key to the whole thing? The teamwork, the, the uh, team bonding? Well, we haven't had before. You still have to have the firepower, but one thing, we are going to be unified and bonded as brothers in, in terms of it's not just mutual respect or I will set aside any personality difficulties on behalf of what the coach is asking to do. It has to be where we can have each other's back and we become a family to go over there and, and take on what we will be facing. So that's why we want to get started as soon as possible, just to get some of that in there where we can kind of find out who works well together, who gets along, who's team-oriented, who is there supporting the other players. And, uh, you know, I, I can tell you this from my limited interaction with the team that's been selected. They're bright-eyed, they're excited, they've never did this before, uh, never approached it in this fashion, and I look for great results down the road just based on their initial responses and what they had planned. Right. Well, it's, uh, again, it's not the easiest of, uh, uh, you know, tasks that's ahead of you. I'm sure that you you know, I know what I understand of, I think I understand your vision of how things are going to work, and hopefully you guys are going to be able to get together a few times uh, before October and, and try and get together and do some uh, team building that way as well. Maybe do some, I don't know, how would you go about doing team building? I mean, if you're in, let's say everybody comes to uh, Linwood and for for a couple of days, where would you start, Mark? What, just, I mean, I, we we can feel like they don't need any coaching, you know. They're, they're already, you know, fabulous players, and maybe they don't need too much coaching. What what would you suggest would be your angle to take to if they all got together for two days? Well, you know, one, just the fact that we have, you know, we have eight guys that generally make their living playing each other. So there's always a competitive side to it where um, – Breaking down the sharing of knowledge and the willingness to explain that your own personal uh, foe, uh, your weaknesses. You know, sometimes you'd be reluctant to divulge that to your uh, adversaries. So in this case, we're going to have to get beyond that. So while what you 
playing the physical game is there. We're not going to be like rebuilding your stroke or something all of a sudden. Right. But certainly to get them on, on step with the, the mental side of it, of what we're doing here and why we're doing it, it's not just for the Moscone Cup, but it's also for the sport and, and make them a better, uh, a better player and a better person simultaneously. And we will do that in a host of ways. One, uh, they're going to learn a little bit more about uh, some of the things that they'll be facing, such as dealing with the media, um, uh, the preparation that's going to go into this, uh, all the different things. But it's not my team, just so you know it. And it's not even just their team either. It's everybody's team that's passionate about the sport here in the United States. But I definitely want them to feel comfortable as well as anyone listening to this program. Give me a shout-out. Let me know what you're thinking, how you feel about it. And uh, I'm willing to even accept criticism that way because it's everybody's team. It's, it's, uh, it should be a fairly transparent process where you feel included and welcome to be part of it. Do you expect conflicts? I do not. Okay. Do not. Well, I think you, you brought up a fabulous point, Mark, that I, I hadn't thought about, and that's why you're the captain and I'm not, I suppose. Um, <laughs> the thought that you, you don't like to tell people your weaknesses. But as a team, if, you're, if you've got that camaraderie and you can go to your teammate and say, boy, I tell you, I can't stand being left on the top rail. Right up against the rail on a long shot, I cannot stand it. I don't get it goes through my mind every time I play that shot. It makes me worse every time. How would you go about playing this shot differently? How do you do it? But now you're just giving away your secret that you're playing for the uh, to, to catch in a tournament, and you're playing against the guys you just told you like being on the top rail. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, we how eager would you to give that information up? I think that one might be a little bit simplistic because that is a basic part of playing safe is leave the guy on the bend rail and long. But but nonetheless, your, your point is good, and and so. We're going to share. Everybody has certain weaknesses, and we all know them. And, and then we'll certainly uh, come to the forefront during the course of uh, uh, separating the team as we go along. So, you know, I have to tell you, when I interview the players, and we, we listen to their backgrounds and what they expect and, 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 and what they have to offer the team and what they would bring, um, it's going to be the hardest thing. I don't mind working hard, but emotionally, it's going to be hard for me to cut the team down to five because. It, it really pains me because I know their background and how desperate they need this opportunity. And I'm a player myself that has compassion for that particular side of it. And sometimes when I think about it, I almost get a bit emotional myself. But I, I will do it, and everybody knows it, because we have to go with honesty. And, uh, you know, frankly, the billiards world deserves the best team that we can put forward, and that's just what we're going to do, despite maybe the fact that it's going to be painful at times. Yeah. Right. This is very true. Uh, is there uh, anything you'd like, Mark? Is there anything you'd like to uh, tell uh, our listeners that uh, you, you any kind of a message that what where you're trying to go and uh, what your vision is? Things. Yeah. Well, one thing that uh, one of our rallying cries this year is going to be uh, we, we've got a thing called Pool Awareness Week. That'll be November 2nd to the 9th, where we ask everybody that's involved in the sport, whether it be a room owner, league operator, player, um, manufacturer of any kind, to get behind Pool Awareness Week. And the whole idea is it's a, it's a cost-effective way to promote the sport. 
grassroots level, which is that's kind of my rallying cry, is we want you to include one new player that week. Bring them to the league, bring them to a match, show them how to draw the ball, uh, tell them what's going on. Just try to help the sport out. And if we all chip in, if we weren't apathetic, and if you really think about it, it it's, it's to everyone's benefit to do so. Mm-hmm. Then we can proliferate the sport, the growth of sport. So Pool Awareness Week is a, is a very uh, uh, a great idea. I'm embarrassed I didn't think of it myself, but it's so good and so beautiful when you really think about it. So I encourage everyone to get on board with that. And then, you know, I think in conclusion, I would say this. This year's Team USA is going to be disciplined, professional, and a lot of fun to be around. And the new direction is exciting. And the U.S. will be very proud of their representatives. And I would really like to thank you, Mark and David, and the entire Bayview community for listening and for their future support. Well, thank you very much. Okay, well, Mike, thank you very much. I'm, I'm sure you're going to do a great job, and I believe that whether people say or not, people have their doubts here and there. I think that everybody's behind you and uh, want to see you do well and want the team to do well. And so thank you very much for your commitment and your effort to uh, changing things up a little bit, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on the show uh down the road, maybe in October, or when you get your five picked. Yeah, I'm all for it. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mark. And I think that's it, David. Are we all clear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's going to wrap it up for this week. And thank, uh, thanks to both of you guys for, to, for, for participating. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. Well, till next week on the Legends and Champions Report, this is Mark Kentrell. We'll see you then. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week on American Billiard Radio. Today I'm talking to Candy Whaley down at the 8-Ball Sports Bar and Billiards in Columbus, Ohio. How are you, Candy? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and telling us a little bit about 8-Ball, Sports Bar and Billiards. Why don't you give us a little bit of a history on the room? Well, the 8-Ball Sports Bar and Billiards used to actually be the Golden 8-Ball. There used to be four of them here in Columbus, Ohio. We are now the sole location here in Columbus. We have currently owned it for 14 years total. Um, We've been at our current location for nine years. Nice. Cool. So... Yeah, I saw um, on your website that that you've got quite a few quite a few tables in there. Oh. Yeah, we have 28 pool tables, and um, eight of those are nine foot front mm-hmm. foot gold crowns, and the rest are all water boxes. Nice. You guys do a lot of leagues and stuff in there. We focus a lot on leagues. We are a primarily APA bar. Uh, we have a ton of APA tournaments here, leagues here. Uh, we also do have valley leagues here also, but APA is our focus. Nice. Um, do you guys do any, like, regular tournaments or anything? We have uh, four tournaments every week that everyone can compete in, and those are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And those are, um, some are nine, one is a nine-ball tournament on the nine-foot tables, and the other ones are our chip tournament, which is kind of something that, People talk a lot about us 
four. We have these chip tournaments. Everybody gets five chips, so you're guaranteed uh-huh. to play five times. So it's okay. something that we brought here to Columbus, and it's been a huge hit. That sounds interesting. I I love doing these interviews because every room has like a, a thing that they do. That's that's interesting. I I'll have to learn more about that because that could be fun. Yeah. Um. Oh, cool. Do uh, you guys have food and and drinks, a full yeah. bar, or anything? Yes, we have a full kitchen. So we serve everything from today. We have homemade fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy, and salads and you name it. Our huge hit here is chicken wings. We sell a ton of them. We have a full bar. We have um, 14 tap handles for draft beer. We have quite the selection of everything. And if we don't have it, we usually get it for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's your what's your favorite item on your menu? Um, I eat a lot of our salads because I'm trying yeah. to eat healthy. <laughs> but uh, when I'm not eating healthy, I would either do chicken wings or an Italian sub. I Sounds good. Good. Sounds good. There's a, a pretty brave young man out there named Hunter Cole that uh, he's definitely caused quite a stir in the pool community. And um, your room is going to be holding a fundraiser tournament for him soon. So please let our listeners know a little bit about that. Okay. Um, our benefit tournament for Hunter is on Saturday, April 19th. It's kind of a bad weekend because it's Easter weekend. But uh, there are so many tournaments and so many things going on around the Columbus and surrounding areas that that's the only time that we could get it fit in. So um, it's Saturday, April 19th. We will start taking sign-ups at 11 a.m. They're going to start playing at 12. We're doing two different events. We're doing a nine-ball singles event, and then we're also doing a scotch doubles event. And people can play in both events at the same time. Oh, that's great. So, oh, good. Uh, D. Adkins kind of took this under his wing, and he's been running with it, and uh, he's done a great job at helping Hunter. And there's another little boy that we've done a benefit for named William that also has cancer, and D. Adkins has done great things for those two boys. I don't know. Hunter Hunter made a big impact on me. I don't know. The story and just everything that he's gone through has definitely uh, pulled the heartstrings for sure, so... But yeah, thanks for for you know supporting the event, and I really hope that it's uh, I hope it's a huge success for you guys. So yeah, we've had um, we usually have pretty good turnouts for those type of benefits, and there's a, awesome. been a lot of advertising and a lot of talk on Facebook about it. Mm-hmm. But now you've got other benefits for him in like Cincinnati and all, right. all over the place now. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, he's definitely stirred. Pushing <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, you will be able to find uh, Eight Ball Sports Bar and Billiards on the Go Play Pool app. You can find, you know, their location and general info, and hopefully, you know, we can get you guys signed up with us, and everyone can know exactly what's going on, when, and what time at Eight Ball Sports Bar and Billiards. If you haven't downloaded the app please do. It's free on Android and iOS and has a lot of cool stuff on it. So if uh, you want to contribute to the fundraiser for Hunter or if you'd like to go down there and play, you can find 8-Ball Sports Bar and Billiards located in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Their address is 2100 Morse Road in Columbus. Um, Their phone number is 614-436- 
1-800-242-9248. And, again, you'll be able to find all that information on the Go Play Pool app. So, um, yeah, if there's anything that, that you want to contribute, if you have a, a queue or a shirt or anything that you want to, you know, contribute for pools or if you'd like to donate cash or, or just go down and play the tournament and, um and contribute in that way, then then get a hold of them or go on down to eight, eight Ball Sports Bar and Billiards on April 19th. Anyway, Candy, I, I definitely appreciate your time, and thanks for getting on the phone with me today and joining us, and I, I hope that the event goes for well and, and is a huge success for you guys, and um, thanks again for, for hosting it, and um, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another Go Play Pool app featured room of the week right here on American Billiard Radio. Welcome to another episode of American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton. I am joined this week by Hall of Fame member Pat Fleming of AccuStats. Pat, how are you? I'm great, Mike. Thanks. How are things out on the East Coast? Uh, the weather's finally changing. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's starting to sag into uh, that weather that I'm not happy about living in Arizona with. <laughs> I think it was 92 when I got in the car yesterday. Wow. Well, I could take that. <laughs> I, I can't stand this horrible cold weather that we have in the Northeast. Are you uh, are you back into bicycling weather? Uh, it's just starting. I've been uh, training inside, but now uh, the weather's starting to change, and as soon as uh, I free up a little more time, I'll be doing my rides. Yeah. For the fans who aren't aware, um, tell us a little bit about an Accu or a Pat Fleming uh, bicycle ride. I'm told they're <laughs> they can be rather extensive. Well, uh, I would call myself an amateur endurance rider, so I would I really don't go out on a bike ride unless it's you know forty fifty miles, and. Uh, if I'm riding with a group, we might ride 125, 250 miles in a day. Um, and uh, it's great exercise, and it takes my mind off of work. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I do a lot of creative things on the bike, just as uh, I try and do with pool and billiards. Well, I know you and I had spoke maybe at the U.S. Open last year, and you were telling me about some, some inventions that you had created uh, for the bicycle. Yeah. How are those yeah. coming along? Uh, pretty well. Um, just as in pool, you know, I'm always experimenting and trying things over the years. And I remember getting my first bike, and I told the, the uh, 
salesman. I said, I'll be back because I'm going to be changing a lot of this stuff. And at the time, I had no idea what I was going to do, but I knew that from experience, whatever I get into, I try new things. So um, I've got a couple of things that I'm working on now that actually uh, make a rider go faster and uh, with shoes and other things, (laughs) which I can't get into right now. But, uh, yeah, I'm always... uh, experimenting a lot of things don't work but the things that do work are golden just like pool i don't want to i don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the history of accusats i'm sure most everyone knows how that got started you know from from just wanting to keep statistics to becoming by far the largest uh, library of of billiards video just out of curiosity how many hours of video do you think you have I just know thousands, thousands, because we have over a thousand videos, well over a thousand, and they're an hour or two each, so um, I really don't know. I just know it's 30 years of, well, let's see, we started our first videos uh, with consumer cameras, no commentary, just the ambient sound, stationary camera in the ceiling. And that was around 1986. So it's been 27 years of video that we've collected. And I've got tons of it um, over the years. And, uh, you know, uh, many of the players that have played in those matches don't even remember the matches. And they were worthwhile. And uh, we've kept them. Do you still have people who are interested in seeing that old single camera, no commentary uh, footage? Yes. Uh, We have lots of customers that want to see some of these players that aren't around today. And they just want to see footage of these players playing the match. Just like, uh, well, when we started, people were saying, well, do you have any uh, Moscone and Greenleaf and some of these other old-timers, and of course we didn't. Uh, Well, now when they say that about contemporary players, well, players who aren't contemporary anymore, but, uh, you know, we have a history of players now that uh, somebody who was born in the year 1995 who plays excellent pool and maybe one of the top pros can watch players that were great before he was born and that's a first who is your best-selling player well it changes uh from time to time of course who's on top who's on top of the leaderboard as far as uh, tournament wins uh, reyes has always been a favorite for many many years um efren has fallen a little bit you know uh I think he's proven that lately that where he's not winning everything, although he just won another one pocket tournament, Derby city his sixth one. <laughs> so he's, he's still phenomenal, but you know, he's, he's not as phenomenal as he was. Um, right now, Shane Van Boning is probably, um, you know, getting more exposure than anybody on video. And I know 
from being at events with you that you you always make an effort to make sure that you get the up-and-coming players and you make an effort to make sure that you don't just leave a tournament with video of Shane. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've got Julian and our production crew that go to all these tournaments and we look at the boards and find out, you know, who we want to uh, display on the AccuSats table. And we're always conscious of new players, uh, who plays who next if so-and-so wins and trying to uh, meet the needs of our meet the needs of our clientele. Uh, but we're always trying to introduce new players that are great that nobody knows about. And uh, then from time to time, some of those players stay with the game and all of a sudden they're the great players. And, of course, Billy and Cardona, Danny DiLiberto, and Grady when he was around. I mean, that's half the show. <laughs> you know, listening to those guys describe things they're so intense and so into the game and they were great players in their own right that uh like i say that's half the show just listening to these guys well when you say that your commentators were great players in their own right you were a great player in your own right well in the early 80s my best you know, of course my goals was to be a player and uh in the late 70s and early 80s were my best years, and straight pool was my best game. And my best finish was third in the World Straight Pool Tournament. And uh, I beat everybody, you know, uh, at those great players at those times, and they beat me too, but I was competitive. And um, But when uh, in 1980, 81, after I finished third in the world's tournament and I uh, won a grand total of $3,000, I bought a computer and that's how Accustats started. And from then on, Accustats took over more of my time and I decided I couldn't split up the time that much and there really hasn't been and still isn't enough money in playing pool. So, uh, yeah, there was a time when I was... uh, competitive let's say that you don't miss it um yeah i miss it a little bit but uh i really don't want to try and compete at a lower level than i was because uh that's really disheartening i'd rather just have fun now and you know i might pick up a cue once a month and hit three balls And then somebody will say, see, you play. (laughs) I look the same, but they don't go in. Yeah. Um, When you, and and I want to clarify before I ask the question, because, you know, you do some some of what we call AccuStats light, you know, you do some productions with uh, with Jerry and I that are not your full layout of equipment. So right. when you're doing a full, uh, a full production Correct. event, Derby City, the U.S. Open, something like that, how long does it take you to set up for that event and what all is entailed in that? Well, the setup of an event starts with 
uh, Sandcastle Billiards. Ed Lodowie, the owner of that billiard room, has been great with AccuStats, and he provides us with areas where we can run tournaments of our own. But we have equipment set up there. So the first step is to tear down that equipment. And so that takes a day or so. And then we have to rent a truck and load a truck and then drive to an event. That's another day or so. And then it takes us eight guys two days to set up. So there's about a week's worth of labor before I get to a tournament. Then, of course, there's the tournament. And then after the tournament's over, it takes us a day day to tear down. And then it takes us a day or two to get home. And then it takes us a day to unload this equipment in two different places. And then I don't have a staff of eight, and it takes me a week or so to set up. So it's three or four weeks out of my life for each full production tournament. And when somebody walks in and they see it all done, they have no idea that this thing took almost a month out of AccuStats. And when you do a full production event, how many cameras and cameramen? And... Mm-hmm. All right, we have a staff of about almost a dozen because now we have shot clocks that we use at every tournament, and that is just a godsend. And uh, we have cameramen, and we have uh, uh, managed floor managers, and then uh, we've got editors, commentators. And it's a lot different than walking in with the camera and me and, you know, just showing a video. It's it's a big production. Well, and, and everyone... Everyone that I know, especially including people who do the kind of thing that you do, they all say that, you know, you are the gold standard when it comes to presenting a match on video. Well, I think that the, the now ESPN, you know, they've got lots of bells and whistles that we don't use. But I think that AccuStats shows the game actual game, Uh, not interviews and other things like that, but the actual game better than anybody because we've been doing it so long. Our cameramen kind of know just where they're supposed to be without me telling them. They know when I'm switching and where they should be and and where a production crew in Vegas, they might... uh, they might not have any idea, and they're just listening to the director of where they should go, and, and he's guessing himself. But uh, we're really proud of what our finished product looks like on the pool table. And, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that others couldn't do it, but they don't they don't have the staff and the, and the equipment that we have. But if they did, they'd be doing the same thing, you know, because they know pool. Uh, tar knows pool, and if they had the equipment and the staff that we have, they'd, they'd be doing just as good a job. And and but we have also uh, in the background we have Jimmy Fredericks and his streaming team, and that's that's a gigantic job too. Uh, for us to get through a tournament out of town without losing too much money, we have to stream this stuff on pay per view. And uh, Jim Fredericks manages that, and uh, we have great customer service. When somebody has a problem, he's right on top of it. 
and we're proud of our, our customer service. So that's that's part of the, the big job also. And what some people may not be aware of, due to the fact that you're streaming it, whenever you're doing a full production match, because I know sometimes you'll do a match where it's just a stationary camera, but when you're doing the multiple camera angles and the, the full commentary and the telestrator, you're tucked away in a closet somewhere <laughs> with a, a mixing board, you know, giving instructions to the cameraman about where you want to go and and which camera you're going to and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's not, you know, the 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 saying is that any 12-year-old with a, a camcorder, you know, can strap it to a light and stream a match, but it's when when you say full production it really is a full production for what you do well and the reason we have to do that is because uh we sell uh all of our full production programming to ESPN Star in Asia and they demand a certain uh quality production and uh David Thompson uh, helps us there, and he negotiates for us for getting all kinds of television coverage and advertising. And um, and so we've got to make sure that not only the video is right, but the audio has got to be right. And we had to invest in a, a booth, a commentary booth, where where our commentators would go in, close the door, so that we could separate the uh, the ambient sound from their sound, because when the crowd roars... Without a booth, you're not going to be able to hear the commentators. And, uh, and for any kind of editing or stuff like that, you need a, a mixed signal. So, um, you know, by putting it on television, it requires us to do a better job. And then my son, who does all the editing, uh, he's a godsend. Uh, he, when, when we get done with a project, he, he might have to spend 100 hours preparing this thing for television and uh, so there's lots of things going on that nobody knows they just see the camera running and okay it's done well I, I think we're all certainly very happy that you do do what you do yeah well I'm happy uh, my wife lets me do this <laughs> <laughs> She's, she just retired and I can't get the smile off her face, but uh, she's been uh, supportive of me forever. And without her, uh, Acustats would have died a million times. And uh, of course, my brother Pete, he's been involved with Acustats uh, as long as I have. He invented the name Acustats. And uh, so there's a lot of people that are behind the scenes that no one has any idea that they played a role. So um, there's a lot to go around. Let's take a real short break, and then when we come back, I'd like for you to talk to us about uh, the Make It Happen series. Great. Okay, everybody, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Pat Fleming this week. Now, Pat, um, 
the Make It Happen series is not the first event that you've put on on your own, right? Correct. Correct. Um, we had an event in 2008. That was our first major event where we invited players to play in a straight pull event. Accustats financed the entire production. And wow, did it cost me. So, and I realized I better not do this unless I get some help. So, uh, we lost a lot of money there. And, uh, but it was a great production. And it was in our studio, which was really nice, because uh, that cut down on a lot of time that I explained earlier to you about setting up at another venue. Um, and of course, you know, I was a tournament director for many years back in the 70s and uh, and 80s and 90s. Uh, not, I shouldn't say 70s. I was a tournament director in the 90s, most of the tournaments in the 90s, especially at the Sands and the World Tournament, uh, Challenger Champions. Um, but then, once again, AccuStats just took so much of my time that you know I had to back off of that. So it's been AccuStats uh, ever since. And and what was the logic behind the decision to move into uh, creating your own events? Okay. Well, we thought we had a great product for promoters. And so there were a couple of tournaments that were coming up, and we approached them, and we gave them what we thought was you know, a glorious deal where they couldn't refuse. they just have to say, oh, absolutely, come on out. And they didn't. And I was in shock. I was saying, we're practically giving it away for free. And they declined. So I said, well, maybe we got to do it on our own, but I know how expensive it is. And so I said, well, wait a minute. We've got a customer base. If we offered a, a great product in exchange for money to put in this tournament, maybe maybe that'll work. And so the wheels started turning, and I said, well, okay, let me put this package together, and it was a $300 package, which included DVDs and streaming and other products, and it was a nice package. And I said, let me offer this to our customers and let them know that if they don't go for it, that's okay, but we won't have the tournament because I can't afford the tournament. Tournaments are going to cost forty grand to put these things on because we provide uh, the prize money, all expenses paid for the player, no airfare, no hotel room, no entry fee. Then we bring our production crew, fly them in, and have payroll and hotel rooms. and So it's very expensive. But I said, let me try it. And if it doesn't work, well, we won't have the tournament. It won't be a failure. We just won't have the tournament. And it was, I think, 2012, we had our first tournament, which was an eight-ball tournament. And the reception was acceptable. We actually were able to pull this thing off, and everybody was happy, including the players, because they just got paid. You know, <laughs> there was no money out of their pocket. And that's... That's unusual. And uh, so that worked. And we had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, requests for a different discipline. Not that they didn't like eight ball. It was great. But let's have, let's have another one. What, what other discipline can you use? 
and we went to one pocket and we did the same thing. We offered a package and many of our customers that bought the first package bought the second package and of course we had some new customers and uh, Sandcastle Billiards is the uh, studio and we had VIP seating for about 75 people and that one went off well and then we decided well okay I guess and then ESPN Star wanted this product Uh, our players had to have a dress code they had to have a vest um, and I experimented with some rules. Some worked, some didn't work. The shot clock is a gold mine. Uh, not a gold mine, but uh, it's a great idea that is working and we'll never have a tournament without a shot clock. Um, so I experiment quite a bit, even in our tournaments. In this upcoming tournament, which is the All-Star event, three top finishers of our first event, and a player voted in who is Dennis Arcolo. Uh, these four guys are going to play a round robin uh, event in four disciplines eight ball, one pocket, straight pool, and ten ball. And uh, this time we offered a variety of packages. Instead of a $300 package like the first three tournaments, we said, okay, maybe better if we offer from 100 to 500 tournaments a little longer, a little more expensive, uh, maybe this will work. And so that's what uh, that's what's working right now. And what's nice, of course, is that we don't have to pack up our equipment and go somewhere. Um, it is expensive because we don't have any sponsors. It's uh, all of our customers uh, buy a package. It's like, let's say you were selling refrigerators. And you said, buy this refrigerator you know, for $800, and we're going to make this refrigerator tournament. (laughs) And you had a bunch of customers buy your refrigerators, and you take all that money, and you put it into this refrigerator tournament. Now, it costs you money for the refrigerators. Sure. But you're taking all that money anyway. So you're really paying for it. Your customers are giving you upfront money, and now you're paying for it. So... The customers are paying for it, and Accustats is is paying for it because they're giving up product and uh, and um, you know all the money that we've received, every dime, has gone into the tournament, and uh, it seems to be working. And I don't know how long it'll work, but right now we're very happy with it. Well, considering the success of these events and taking in the, the taking in mind that the CSI events that used to be open events in Vegas are moving to invitation only uh fields do you see that as maybe a direction that things are moving well clearly uh and I've been to tournaments for you know 40 years um it's easier to manage a tournament with fewer players uh, many promoters always wanted to see how many players they can get into their event. And 64 was uh, kind of the standard, but if they can get more, it was great. The Derby City Classic gets hundreds, and it's a mammoth job. And if the tournament is not a, a winner, it's a big loser. So Accustats decided to have a one-table event 
where we don't have to all of our make it happen events are one table events every match is played in the arena and um if we had a 64 player field now we're talking about you know 8 or 16 pool tables and scheduling everybody and it's it's and having enough money where lots of people make money it's a nightmare so we found out that's the only way we could do it is one table now CSI uh, a 16 player field um, I don't think it's round robin I think it's uh, an elimination event uh, it's groups so, groups yeah they've okay. got groups of four uh, well in any event it it uh, the venue doesn't have to be that big uh, the staff doesn't have to be that big. The names are as big as ever. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the way that uh, CSI went. Once they start doing it, they might like it, just like Accustats likes what we do. Um, uh, the Derby City Classic, that is unique, and and that is wonderful. A great tournament for us, and... Uh, it's a very popular tournament for the masses, and uh, that formula works for them. And they do a great job. They have a staff uh, that handles it well. It's hard to believe. It's mind-boggling what they have to do to put that thing together. And I imagine it's an all-year project, believe me. <laughs> you know, if my tournaments take a month for nothing, it must take them a whole year to to prepare that one. And so... I think this uh, the short fields is going to work for some promoters, and the big fields will work for some others. But uh, you might find more tendency towards this invitational stuff. There does seem to be a transition from promoters trying to put on the biggest and best everything tournament to the most manageable tournament. Maybe that's you know maybe that's a transition that that is happening in the industry where it's not all based on ego. It's based on, on what actually works. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we want to experiment. I mean, I've been experimenting all my life and I will until the day I die. Uh, and you got to do that and find out what works. And, uh, it's a shame that, uh, in the United States, especially, there's less, fewer pool rooms than there ever were. They keep closing. Uh, fewer tournaments. Um, I don't know where the American player can actually make a living anymore. There's not enough events around. And uh, to go abroad, it's very expensive. And the competition is fierce out there, too. I mean, now the uh, in the Far East and Europe, I mean, it's... It's just monster players out there. And uh, there's not enough in the United States to keep us busy. So Accustats will continue to try and be creative and come with new ideas. But uh, it's worrisome. Yep. Well, it is. And, and, you know, that's certainly a point that, you know, we've gone over many times uh, here on the show, you know, where we're at on the, in the American pool scene. Uh, but your event, uh, again, is April 15th through April 20th. Yes. Um, what, what are the, or who are the players involved? 
Okay, we've got the um, Shane Van Boning, who won our One Pocket Invitational, Torsten Holman, who won our Straight Pool Invitational, Darren Appleton, who was the runner-up in our eight ball. Uh, Alex couldn't make it. And then we had a fourth player that was voted in by our customers who supported this package, and it was Dennis Orcolo, who got twice as many votes as second-place finisher. So, And uh, he's coming in from the Philippines, and it was great to get him, and this field is just unbeatable. It's a uh, round robin, you know. So if you were one of the three, four players, you would play the other three guys: eight ball, one pocket, straight pool, and ten ball. And uh, it's unique. I don't think it's ever been done, and it may have been, but uh, for this class of player, I've uh, I don't recall having anything like this. So we're very excited about it. And each player will play every other player one match in each discipline. Correct. Okay. Our eight ball is a race to ten. Our ten ball is race to eleven. Our one pocket is race to four, and our straight pool is 150 point matches. So they're all full length. Uh, we budget uh, four matches a day, one, three, seven, and nine, and all disciplines will be played every day. So. Every day, there's six-day tournament. There's going to be six eight-ball matches, one a day. Six one-pocket matches, one a day, and so on. So every day, we're going to have four disciplines, uh, full length. Uh, of course, the straight pool has the unique characteristic of uh, something that we provide, and it's bonus money. So if a player is on a run of 50 or more, he can continue and make bonus money. And if you run to 100, 150, 200 or more, it's it's great for us and great for the player. And for fans who are interested in being a part of this? Okay. They have to go to AccuStats.com and click on the Make It Happen feature uh, graphic. And that will bring them to a page that shows them all the packages that are available from $100 to $500. And uh, we still need help. We've only got four or five days left, and uh, we need more help, and we'll take it. (laughs) And it's accu-stats.com. Correct. Okay, everybody. Well, that's pretty much uh, the extent of it. Shane Van Boning, Torsten Homan, Darren Appleton, Dennis Orcolo, 8-ball, 10-ball, 1-pocket, and straight pool. It sounds like there's something there for just about uh, every fan. I think so. I think so. Well, Pat, I think we've taken enough of your time. I wish you all the luck with it. I know I'll be watching uh, some of the matches. I, I I always enjoy watching the matches. And then after Make It Happen, what do you have on the calendar the rest of the year? Uh, well, of course, we have the U.S. Open. That's in October. And... Um, and then we'll consider, you know, a make-it-happen tournament. We we want to have two a year, so this will be our first, and we'll look at the end of the year and see if we can fit one more in. But uh, it'd be the U.S. Open and another make-it-happen tournament. Unless, you know, somebody comes, gives us a call and say, here, we're going to run this tournament, and we want you there. So we're ready. 
Well, and, and we are ready to watch whatever it is that you end up doing. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. All right. Thanks for your time, Pat. Okay. Good day. All right. Bye. A race to nine, I'll spot you the seven. I'll give you my life if you get me to heaven. Such a long time to waste playing fool. Fourteen hours of being the fool. The leather creaked as the nine ball drops. Ending all hope for a comeback pop. Fourteen hours of chalk up and play. Nothing to show except the lighter.